Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast with Hal Elrod. I'm your host, Nick Polkuski, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you take your life to the next level faster than you ever thought possible. In each episode, you will learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals that most haven't. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, a Hall of Fame business achiever, an international keynote speaker, ultra-marathon runner, and the founder of VIPSuccessCoaching.com, Mr. Hal Elra. All right, Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, this is, this is uh, for me, you're like, I'm giddy right now. This is a cool episode. Most of you know I am a huge mixed martial arts fan, and specifically the UFC, right? Ultimate Fighting Championship. Uh, well, today is my uh, my first ever interview with a UFC fighter, and uh, not just any UFC fighter, but somebody who, whose career I followed. I was there watching as he had some really big fights in the UFC, and uh, he is now kind of a UFC fighter turned uh, motivational speaker, author. Really, really cool. He's taken he's taken his you know he had really an up and down career where he was at the highest of highs, touted as the next big thing potentially a future champion uh and and man i you know as a fan i always see how crazy the sport is where you can be at the top of the world and then one fight later you know you're 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 getting knocked out and then you know you're losing and 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 your career can end i was talking to our guest charlie the spaniard brenneman today before we started and i said yeah there's no other sport where you know you make it you get into the big leagues right the ufc is like the nba of of professional mixed martial arts there's no other sport where you get into the big leagues and you could literally lose a fight or two with the equivalent of like an NBA game or two and you're cut, you're gone, you're out, right? Like, you know, NBA, you get in the NBA and you're, you're kind of set for life. You're in the NBA, you're, you know, even if your team loses for a while, you, you can still hang on and have a five, you know, 10 year career. But uh, mixed martial arts is uh, is a really tough sport in that you know you one loss or uh, a couple in a row and uh, and you can be gone. So, so Charlie has experienced fighting some of the best fighters in the world, literally. I mean, I'm talking about UFC welterweight champion Johnny Hendricks in his second UFC fight. He's also fought number one raked light heavyweight, somebody who weighs a lot more than Charlie, Anthony Johnson. And uh, he had an 11-fight career in the world's number one mixed martial arts organization, the UFC. And uh, I'm excited to, to chat with Charlie today about what it is like to be a professional cage fighter what is it like to step into a cage to fight another man who you know it wants to win just as bad as you do and the only way for him to win is to you know to to beat you up essentially right and i know some of you are like why do you like this sport it sounds so violent but uh to me it's really about the mindset of a champion that it takes to step into that environment which very few human beings myself included uh would have the the courage uh, and you know, just and and the mindset that it's necessary to put themselves in that type of a position. So, Charlie Brenneman, the Spaniard. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. I, I apologize in advance. I'm battling a cold. I'm gonna try my darndest not to cough in your listeners' ears. All right, man. That that's uh, that's fair. And uh, I, I my you know my listeners they love authenticity. So it's funny. Like whenever I used to always be anal, like you know, don't I gotta lock the door? And I text my wife, don't let the kids come in. I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> and then whenever the kids happen to sneak in my office or I forget to lock the door, it's always listeners' favorite episodes. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh no, son, uh, you, you gotta leave. I'm I'm in the middle of a show. You know. So they love authenticity, man. So. Uh, cough away it, it'll be all right um cool man so uh, yeah I've, I've got so much to ask i'm literally coming as like a fanboy through this interview it's 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 kind of unlike any other interview i've ever done 
Well, that's that's very cool. I welcome it. It's been a while since I've had fanboys or, or fans <laughs> from fighting, so bring it on. Cool, man. You're, so that's cool. It's it, it, uh, mutually beneficial then. So, um, so, so you were a, a high school wrestler, very successful high school wrestler, um, achieved a top 12 finish at the Division One Nationals. Uh, from Lock Haven University, and uh, and then you went though to teach Spanish. So you didn't go from wrestling to like I want to be a professional fighter. Or so I'm curious where that kind of dream was born. Was it like you knew you wanted to do it, but you needed to make money on the way, so you took a job as a Spanish teacher, or were you did you have a different career path? What, what was it like for you transitioning from college uh, into the the professional world? Yeah, once I finished my time at Lock Haven wrestling, you know, I finished my college career on a pretty high note. I was round of 12, and, and for me, that was about as good as I could have done. It was really the first time in my life that I lost, but I, I came away from St. Louis. That's where Nationals were in 04. I came away from St. Louis feeling pretty good about myself because, you know, actually, funny story, I lost to Johnny Hendricks, my last collegiate <laughs> wrestling match. Yeah, um, okay. Uh, but, you know, I came away from that thinking – I feel pretty good. But at the same time, I thought, I'm done with this competition. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I want to be normal. From here on out, I want to be normal. Yeah. And so I went home back to central Pennsylvania, got a job teaching Spanish. And I was, uh, that's where my nickname comes from, the Spaniard. Yeah. And I got a job uh, teaching and coaching wrestling. And I thought, this is it. This is where I'm going to be. And then after about, I don't know, probably about a year, because I, I was, I was gung ho. I want to, eat pizza and drink soda and get fat and be lazy. That's what I, I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. After about a year, you know, I started to get unrest and, and a friend of my friend of mine and I ran a marathon and that's something I never thought I'd do. Mm-hmm. But as funny and awkward as it sounds it, to a wrestler, it won't sound awkward at all. I, I really miss grabbing a hold of someone and like throwing them down and wrestling them. <laughs> and yeah, it sounds weird and awkward, but yeah, that's but- what I missed. I missed like that primal, thing that yeah. I had had since I was an eight-year-old kid. And about that time, about midway through my second year, a friend of mine from college wrestling, Frankie Edgar, uh-huh. uh, had at that time just signed on to the UFC. So this was like maybe two months before he fought Tyson Griffin in the UFC. Okay. And I was sitting in my classroom in between classes and I saw I saw an article and, and then I emailed Frankie and said, well, congrats, that's great. And then I sat there and I thought, wait a minute, maybe I could do that. Wow. And it's really, uh, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm, I have 27 professional fights and I hesitate to call myself a fighter. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I align myself or I define myself as someone who had a set of skills and just worked really hard to transfer those skills into another area. Like I'm a really good wrestler hmm. and I used those, that skill set to become a really good fighter. And it was that day, that moment that I sat there and thought, I think I'm going to do this. And that's where the seed was planted. Wow. And how, how, how long, and then, and then you went into some amateur fights. How, how long before that moment of like the dream being born or the, the seed being planted to you actually stepping into a, an, an arena or a, an octagon? Yeah. So that was, let's say that was the, the, the middle of my first year. I taught for a full three years. So by the time I actually left home to move to Eastern Pennsylvania, then New York, New Jersey, to train and become a UFC fighter. Uh, it was probably about another six, eight months until I had my first amateur fight. So for my last year of teaching, I was fighting amateur. And a lot of people joke and a lot of people reference the movies. Um, I forget the one with Kevin James. I forget what it's called. But Here I comes mean, that, the boom. <laughs> yeah, that was that was literally my life. Like I would come in Monday morning. Yeah. I would stand in front of class and kids would say, did you fight, senor? Did you fight? And I said, <laughs> yeah. 
And then they'd bring up the clips on YouTube and, you know, they'd watch my fight. Another little sidebar in my, uh, let's see, my second year of teaching, I was also on a reality show on Spike TV. Yeah. Uh, pros versus Joes. So that was a neat thing for my, my students and my community to see as well. And then that kind of like further planted, all right, man, you can do this. You can still compete. Let's go. Wow. How did you get on pros versus Joes? Just a random, random story. I was, you know, I was coaching wrestling and we went to a coaches conference. We had to fill out some paperwork and I guess they passed, you know, as they do, they share addresses and everything. And I just got a piece of junk mail, caught my eye and I thought, maybe I'll fill this thing out. And I sent the people an email and boom, boom, boom. I was in Los Angeles filming and winning my episode. Wow. So, and you, you won pros versus Joe's. Yeah. I won. Wow. Yeah, well, I won my episode, so I won twenty thousand dollars, and okay. then I got invited back for the finale. Uh, I brought my brother with me, and we won the finale episode as well. So really? we won a car. Yeah, really? Oh, that's incredible, man! Yeah, and so, if, pros versus Joe's. For those people that don't know, um, what? Well, actually, is it every sport in terms of each episode? Wasn't it various sports, just depending on the episode? Yeah, they had different sports, and they had four seasons, I believe, and each season was a little different. But my season. Um, what I did was, you know, I, I sprinted against Justin Gatlin. I played, who was an Olympic gold medalist. I played soccer against Brandy Chastain. I played basketball against Xavier McDaniel, Clyde Drexler. I hit off a of John Rocker. Nice. So I, I got to play against all these professional athletes, a variety of sports. And then for the finale, it was the same idea, except I had a partner, and that partner was my brother. Right on, man. Right on. Does your brother do any fighting, or what, what does he do? No, but you know what? That, that experience really kind of... You know, we always had a close relationship, but that experience kind of solidified his future role as as an advisor of mine. So he played a very big role and still does in my life and career in terms of advising. We call we call him Chad for chief advisor, but uh, you know, he, uh, that's kind of what I refer <laughs> to him as. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So I, I want to take our listeners behind the scenes a little bit of what it is like to make that walk and to step into that cage against someone who wants to cause you harm, right? It wants to beat you. Um, I always, you know, I, when I talk to people and actually I'll, I'll, I'll I guess I'll, I'll share this real quick, but when people ask me like, why do you like fighting? Like, I don't get it. It's so it's violent. It's this, it's that I go to me. It's, I mean, there's, you can't deny that there's a violent element, but that's not what it's about. To me, it is, it's the athleticism and it's the mindset and it's the, it's the skills, right? So for me, number one is the mindset. Like I don't have it. I, I don't know that I could step into a cage and that I could, you know, fight someone. And it's probably because I don't have a background in wrestling. I don't have any, you know, skills in that regard. Um, but the other component that I think is really fascinating is that mixed martial arts, in, it's it's very much, you know, at least five different disciplines, right? So wrestling yep. is very different from boxing, right? I mean, as you know, and and then in boxing, very different from jujitsu, right? So there's, you've got to master five or, or more different disciplines that are completely different. And, and to fight in the UFC, as you've done, you've got to be world class in, in, you know, in, in really all of them, right? Because if you're a phenomenal striker, but you can't wrestle, then the wrestler, Charlie Brennan is going to take you down and hold you down, you know, and, and vice versa. But um, so to me, it's like, you'd have to be as good at as an NBA player at basketball and simultaneously as good as an NFL player at football and simultaneously as good as an NHL player at hockey, right? Because at any moment, 
the, your opponent could go, nope, I'm going to shift to basketball on you. Yeah. And then, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot and go right into a football move, on, right? You, all these different sports all combined into one. So to me, that's what's fascinating is there's, you know, when, you, when you're a basketball player, you don't have to train five different sports. You just train one. Yep. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on the mindset first and foremost around like the training and the skills and 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 what's involved in being a mixed martial artist for our listeners that you know that don't that don't appreciate the sport or understand the sport. You know it, it, what you're saying, you're you're hitting the mark. So that's why it's such a tough tough sport and lifestyle because you know wrestling's easy. I'm just trying to be a wrestler every day. I wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. But you have to divide it up. So I mean yeah. it's. It takes strategy. It takes philosophy. Like, how, how do we approach it? There's so much to do, and you got to worry about not, you know, driving yourself into the ground out of exhaustion. But the the goal is yes, that we all we all aim for being world class in every one of those aspects. The truth is, I mean, when you break us down, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe the elite top 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 dogs are. Sure, but, the George St. Pierre is really yeah, yeah yeah or John Jones or you yeah. know those guys, but. I mean, that, that's our goal. That's what we're after. But it's extremely hard, extremely difficult to get there. So, you know, for someone like me, it's like I have that mindset. And then in order to come the closest that I can come to have that happen, I put myself around the best. And that's a big, big guiding principle of mine is surround yourself with the best. So, I mean, I was training with um, the Miller brothers and I was training with Frankie Edgar and I was training with Ricardo Almeida and Henzo Gracie and George St. Pierre and all these Muay Thai world champions because I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to be the best, there's only one way I'm going to get there, and that's by learning from the best. So it, that that has always been my default in all of my training is, okay, how do I put myself around the best guys on a consistent basis? So that's that's my mindset in terms of training. Um, in terms of the men, mental aspect of fighting, you know, it's a really unique thing, and, and we touched on it before, but, I mean, you're walking into an arena – of you know the biggest fight I had in, in an arena that I was the 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 top billing or the the main guy you know was probably fifteen thousand people, yeah. And I mean you're going against another well trained animal. This is what I explain to people. So whenever you see or whenever you're in junior high school or high school or college, you know, and you hear of the tough guys yeah. because they got in a fight and knocked so and so out. All right, one those they're untrained, right? So yeah. you know, tough is just a thing. Tough is an abstract thing. When yeah. you're well trained, that's a whole other ball game. Yeah. So when you know two months out that you have to go against another well trained, dangerous man, it, 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 I I don't know what makes me okay with it, <laughs> but it takes a lot to become okay with it. Yeah. So much that when it when it's about to happen, I give the analogy. It's like getting in an airplane. Whenever I buckle up in an airplane, it's like I say my prayers and I know that it's up to fate now. Every, it, it's out of my hands. And I really and truly felt that way when I when the door closed and they said my name and his name and let's fight because I thought I've done everything I can do. Yeah. So it's autopilot and it's let's go. When is the most when is the most nervous part the, yeah. or, or the fear leading up to a fight? When, when is that for you? Is it in the in the dressing room? Is it a minute before? Is it you know, when is that? Yeah. You know what? It's really if you've ever seen the movie Southpaw. With uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I did not get to. See, I, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I'd recommend it, and to the listeners as well. I've heard it's the great, most yeah. lonely time, and they do a great job um, portraying it in the movie. The yeah. most lonely time is in the locker room prior to the fight, mm. 
because it i mean like you're generally there's three fighters that fair that share a locker room so you're in there with your two or three corner men and it's like quiet and nobody's really talking if you are talking it's generally like a little bit of forced feel goodness yeah because you're like kind of so <laughs> at that point like freaked out yeah and you know that's a a really hollow time yeah Wow, got it. No, that like I said, I, it, me vicariously through you guys, just imagining because it's such a such an extreme, you know, physical, mental, and emotional uh, position to be in, and, and you know, circumstance to be in. So you won your first five professional fights. Um, you lost your sixth to a, a UFC fighter, John Howard. That was outside of the UFC, though, correct? Yeah, that was that was down. <coughs> excuse me, that was down in New Jersey, and kind of the rumor going into that fight was whoever won is is going to get signed to the UFC. Mm, and so, and John got signed, and he went on to have a, a a good career. So, but then you went on like after that loss, man. You after your first loss, you went on a seven fight win streak, including your first fight in the UFC against Jason High, correct? Yep, yep. And then that was before you fought Johnny Hendricks, who would go on to be UFC champion. And that was at UFC one eighteen, Sonnen versus Silva, which was just a huge, you know. So much media around that fight card. Huge, huge night of a uh, huge event, if you will. Um, what uh, What was your first? So your well, actually, I'd love to, I'd love to see both emotional swings. So your first fight in the UFC against Jason High, you made it to the big leagues. Real quick, what what was the call like? Who called you to say, yeah. "Dude, you're in the UFC"? And you know what? I I I've been speaking to to a lot of young people this past year, and I I just realized the other day I don't tell this story. So I was wow. driving. I my career has been such that I've had to drive and travel a lot. So I'll, I'll travel five hours to train for 90 minutes because I just, I really, I want to put myself around the best. So, you know, I'll put in all that time on the road. And I remember I was on route 80 and in, in Pennsylvania and I got a call from my manager and it, this had been going back and forth. Like maybe we're close, maybe we're not. And I just picked up the phone. He said, Spander. I said, what's up? And he said, congratulations, you're a UFC fighter. Hmm. <laughs> and and I, I, that's really the first time I repeated that story in a long time. And I almost got choked up because that was it. I left, I left my community. I left my full-time job. I left my family, my friends, everything for this like one in a million chance. And to have it happen, it was, you know, it was so, it, it was just, you know, I'll never forget that moment. Yeah. And no, I, 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 I can imagine. So you get in, you're fighting Jason High, um, and where was that fight? That was down in Charlotte, and I'll add a, a little tidbit in here too. Asked about the lonely times, so I was ready. I was, I knew I was good enough. I had fought John Howard. I had, I should have. I mean, I, I think I beat him. Thought you beat him, but, right. uh, <laughs> but I knew I was ready. So there was no doubt about that. I knew I was better than Jason. But that afternoon, it like hit me, and my wife and I went for a walk. I'll tell you another lonely, lonely time too, but my wife and I went for a walk and I was just walking through Charlotte in the sunshine and I was like, oh my gosh, honey, what is going on? (laughs) Like what, what am I doing and what is going on? And then another extremely lonely and for the listeners, even if you're not into fighting, try to visualize this. So at four o'clock, anywhere between uh, two and three o'clock, we leave on fight day and we go to the arena. So they, they load up the buses. So at two or three o'clock in the hotel room, you have to say goodbye to the people you love. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm getting a little choked up now. It's a very, very intense, just emotional moment because fingers crossed, you're going to be fine yeah. long term. 
but you just never know what's going to happen. And it's a very, 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 that last hug that I give my wife is a, is a, a long, powerful hug because she knows what I'm in for. And I know what the the toll it takes on her. Because there's that fear of like worst case scenario, right? Especially for a wife. I can't imagine watching. Yeah. You know, your, your family member, your spouse get into a fight. So, so, all right. So, um, hugging the wife goodbye. And then you go in and you go in to fight Jason high. Uh, when you were coming out of the locker room, was it, was it, was it, I don't, I can't remember seeing, you know, what your face looked like. Were you smiling? Were you, what was your, what's your thought? Like I always look, you know, that's one thing that is really fascinating for me. I love to watch the walk from the, right, from the dress, you know, the, the dressing room to the locker room to the arena. I love to watch because they get close on the fighter's face, you know. Yep. And you see some fighters that, are like, you see Uriah Faber who's, you know, pointing and smiling yep. and he's just, he's dancing. And then you see Ronda Rousey who, she is so focused. She does not break character until, she doesn't smile. She doesn't look around until the fight's over, you know. Yep. So there's just different approaches, right? Relax, have fun, be super focused. And you see some fighters that you're like, that person is scared to death right now. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is not where you want to be going into the fight. So, so what was your first? What was your walking out? What's that like for you? Your first, your first fight. So I've had, I've, I've been through the gamut with this, and and okay. my first fight, it, I do remember. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember. I was very relaxed, and I felt very comfortable, and I wanted to be there, and I knew I should be there. So that was a very like natural, feel good, kind of happy, excited. Um, and do you want me to go through the other two, or or you? Want yeah, to kind no, of yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please, no, okay. go ahead. So that was that. That was like a feel good. Yes, this is awesome, cool, happy, smiley. That was now, fight you, number one. That was fight number one. Okay. And if you watch – and, you know, that happened for a couple of fights. If you watch my – this is the other end of it. If you watch my fight against Rick Story, and I'm, I'm, you might be able to find some clips online or something because it was a pretty big fight. Yeah. That fight I remember as the most amped – and I write about it in my book. I could have been fighting John Jones, and I would have been excited to beat up John Jones. You know, what, what I probably couldn't have, but sure. I would have thought, I would have truly believed that I was going to, because you you could have put anyone or anything in front of me at that moment, and I believed that I was going to destroy whatever was in front of me. So that 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 was the Rick Story side of it. So yeah, now, the fun. Now let me let me pause. Uh, because I want to, I want to dive into that. Because okay, let me for the audience, everybody listening, so you understand. Rick Story was ranked number six in the world. Charlie was on that fight card, supposed to fight somebody else who was not even ranked. Uh, uh, the the Rick Story's opponent gets injured or whatever, can't can't make it with twenty four hours notice. Charlie gets a call. He thinks he's not fighting. Right? You're, you thought you weren't fighting at all because your opponent had had bailed. Is that it? Correct. So I found out Tuesday that my opponent had bailed. So what they said to me was, you have to make weight on Saturday to get half of your money. And I thought, well, this really stinks. But then there were two ways. And I tell this to young people when I talk to them. I could have gone two ways. I could have said, screw this. I'm going to stuff my face, eat like crap, and then just, you know, literally sit in the sauna and make myself throw up to lose weight. Or I'm going to stay the course and I'm going to go through my rituals and my workouts and my proper diet just in case. And 24 hours before the fight, that just in case, yeah. which was one in a million, yep. came to fruition. And, and there I was thrust into the spotlight. So I remember that. I specifically remember it was UFC fight night number four, I think, on Versus. 
Yeah, yeah, right? it was versus four. Dang, that was good. Yeah, and why, dude, I, I was I was trying to remember the detail. I'm not a details guy, so I have to be transparent. I did a little research trying to remember yeah. all the details, but but I do remember that night. I remember that fight. Um, and I think, yeah, Nate Marquardt was supposed to fight Rick. And by the way, his nickname for all of our listeners, Rick the Horror Story, right? That tells you about <laughs> yeah. this. Like, this is a guy that, you know, like, that's why I'm so curious, Charlie. I want to I wanna bring it back to some context that you were going out all confident. Because 24 hours notice, and you get the call to take Nate's place, fight Rick's story. In the co-main event, by the way, right? of um you know of this of this event and uh and Rick was supposed to you know take just destroy you like it was like a you were a filler you know you were just um you were being handed to Rick's story cuz he needed a replacement to beat up to earn a title shot essentially yep, yep. and uh and so um and and you know I'll I'll hear a spoiler alert you won the fight i mean you 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 know you pretty handily beat him and it was a really impressive performance that's when Joe Rogan started saying wow this Charlie Brennan you know i mean this this guy could be the future and um so so why were you you know walking out to the cage to fight a guy who was ranked so much higher than you the odds makers thought he was definitely going to beat you you only had 24 hours notice why why did you feel like you could beat anybody in the world that night because because you know, our listeners i want them to know like well, th- this is a mindset that every single one of us need to adopt and and can adopt in, in you know every day and anytime we're approaching any of our goals and I think that you're facing there's such an extreme challenge that's why I really want to want to want to bring this to our listeners yeah and, and you kind of you touched on something that I was going to mention you said like how can you bring it to you every day and every one of your goals mm. so a motto in a credo, a credo that I live by is I try to prepare myself for anything that will come my way. So whether it's a job offer, whether it's an athletic competition, whether it's an emergency, whether it's a, an impromptu presentation, no matter what it is in a conversation, I want to be prepared. I want to be a well-rounded person. And <laughs> so I, I live my life. And to that point, I had lived my life in preparation of receiving an opportunity like that. Like the, the, the luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yep. I, I lit like from the time I was a, a six-year-old infatuated with Rocky Balboa, I lived my life for that moment to happen. So whenever that happened, I, it, I knew. I knew more than anything in the world that whenever they said you're fighting Rick's story, I knew my life was now different because wow. I knew I was going to beat him because I knew, Charlie, you've lived your life this way. Hmm. You're however old, I, I don't remember, 31, 30-ish, around that time. Yeah. And you've not taken advantage of opportunities in the past because I, I wasn't mentally tough enough. I wasn't mentally evolved enough. Here is your second, maybe third, fourth, fifth chance to make it happen. And I just knew it. It, it could have been Rick Story. It could have been Nate Marquardt. It could, you could have put anyone there that night, and, and I would have beat them. And so you go and you beat Rick Story. So, uh, so what was that? Post fight, what what's that like? You're standing in the cage, right? Joe Rogan come around. If Joe Rogan interviewed it, who, yep. who interviewed it that night? Was it Rogan? It was Rogan. So, and I have the video. I, I DVR'd it and put it on a DVD. Of course, <laughs> I'll, show, dude. Of course. I'll show my daughter and my other children. That's right. <laughs> and their friends and their friends. <laughs> um, but I, it's gonna I, be whenever, your daughter going, Dad, stop! Yeah, stop put showing the that. video. Come on. <laughs> um, I during the the post fight interview with Joe Rogan. I, I have my arm around him, and I, I said, "You can see me lip. Is this real? Is this even happening?" Yeah. Because I went, I, I, I just, it was the most surreal feeling in the world, and it was truly the realization of a lifetime of of work. And and after that, I don't remember a sweeter, 
a sweeter moment, a sweeter time, a sweeter anything because it was so much of my life that went into something that I was able to live out on live TV in front of almost a million people. Yeah. Yeah. And what a rare opportunity, right? How many people get that opportunity to, to live a dream in front of millions of people and have it DVR'd? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> mean, know? literally, literally when I was six years old, I used to work out when Rocky would do pushups, I would do pushups and, you know, like I wanted to be Rocky. Yeah. And then that night, the next day on MMA Junkie, you know, Dana White says a real life Rocky story. It was like, oh my gosh. Nice. Like, if this is for your listeners and you know, you want practical, it's the power of positive thought. Like I, I saw it. I yeah. knew it. And, and I'm a spiritual person and I just knew that I, it was there for me to take and I, I didn't deserve it. You know, certainly I don't, I think we, we get what we earn, yeah. but it was there for me to earn and I, and I wasn't about to let it go. Well, I think that that's that whole saying, right? That you don't need to get right. When you stay ready, you don't need to get ready. Yeah. yeah. And you're so right that, and there, that other, another, you know, philosophy that that ties into is how you do anything is how you do everything. And, and I love that. You just got to decide, you know, how are you going to show up in life? And it's how, it's how you show up in everything. So, I mean, Charlie, you're, you're a champion, you know, you have been since a young age and I'm not trying to, you know, feed your ego or anything, but I mean, I think that for our listeners, right? Like that, what, that's the approach you go, dude, I'm going to treat everything I do with a champion mindset. I'm going to approach, you know, um, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, a call for my group coaching members tomorrow on, uh, it's called holistic productivity. And it's the idea that, you know, most people think productivity and they think of like work and their to-do list. And it's like, no, no, productivity is you, you've got to thrive in, you know, be productive in, with your health and with your relationships and with your happiness. And with, you know what I mean? Like productivity, yep. it's holistic. It's about every area of your exactly, life exactly. And, and, and producing. And so, yeah, you, mean, you, you, you treat one thing like that. And then, like you said, that's why you're able to be at the, the biggest stage in your life, in your career, and uh, and be ready to go because you're like, dude, I've I've been working my whole life. I've been preparing for this moment for my entire life, right? And I I think you're. I love that approach, that holistic. And, and if you don't mind, I'll use that in the future. And, yeah, and, because I love it, and that's what I'm saying. The holistic preparation is what I was trying to say a few minutes ago. Yeah, and I'll say also for your listeners that I'm a very goal oriented person, and this is a goal oriented uh, podcast. So I've set eight major goals in my life okay. that ranged from winning a, a elementary state championship to a high school state championship to straight A's in, in high school, college, graduate school. I've set eight major goals and I've only accomplished three hmm. of those goals. Got it. And when I lay my head on, head down at night, I sleep peacefully because I have peace of mind, which I've realized is success to me equals peace of mind. Yeah knowing that I've done everything that I can in the pursuit of attaining those goals. So some have happened, some haven't happened. I'm a better person because of, you know, different variables, but it's, it's setting those goals and giving every, a holistic approach to those goals that really to me is success. I love it. I love it. So, and that's such a great, actually, that's, that's a great transition here. I want to transition. You have a book, that uh, is doing really well. Driven is called Driven. 
and the subtitle is My Unlikely Journey from Classroom to Cage. I encourage everybody to check it out on Amazon. Uh, read the reviews. I mean, 4.9 out of 5 stars. There's not too many books that uh, are averaging 4.9 out of 5 stars on their Amazon reviews, and uh, people just love the book. They're raving on it. So here's what I, I'd love to, to transition and, and, and hear a little bit about what the book is and how that's you know how that's going to help our listeners if they want to you know, go further with you and, 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 and go further into your journey. Um, you, uh, you know, you've, you've won a lot in life and you've achieved a lot of major accomplishments, but you just said it to yourself, right? You've had eight major goals that you've set. You've achieved three of them. And so for, you know, for most people looking, they go, well, gosh, most people won't set a goal unless they know they can achieve it. Right. Yeah. So if they knew going ahead, like I'm going to work towards eight goals, give it everything I have, and I'm only going to achieve three, they probably wouldn't even try, you know? And so you have had the highest of highs, you know, winning against Rick story, for example. Um, and then you've had the, you know, the lowest of lows being you've lost, I, I believe you lost three fights in a row in the UFC. Um, your third fight was your final fight. And then you were, you know, you, you lost the opportunity in the UFC and that was in Brazil, which like, to me, like losing in another country where you got to fly a home, like that just is like, that just adds that much more like, and that loneliness of like, I'm not even, you know, like you're in a foreign land, foreign language, et cetera. So here's, here's the question that I have. And you can, you know, this is the question to set the stage, but you can answer it any way that you want. You can give any context you want. You can, you know, pull from your book. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But the question is when you are, when you have a dream, you know, when you have a dream of, you know, being a UFC champion, whatever that dream is for anybody listening, whatever their dream is. And that dream gets deferred. You don't achieve that dream, that goal. Things in life don't pan out the way that you expected them to, and you have to pivot. You have to shift. You have to. You've got. To, you've got to find a new dream, right? Um, what is it like dealing with that that loss, that challenge, and how do you? You know, now you, you're pursuing a new dream. You're impacting young people. You're speaking at high schools and colleges and to youth. So you've got a new a new dream that's radically different from your old. It's obviously the the adversity of experience is feeding that new dream as it so often does. But what is that like to deal with having your dream derailed? And how do you start over? How do you recreate a new dream? You know, uh, when I to to kind of touch on the book real quick. You know, when I in on April twenty sixth, twenty fourteen, I was knocked out cold on live television, wow. and that was my lowest of lows. Um, and that when I got home from that trip, uh, from it was down in Baltimore. When I got home, I was concussed. I couldn't watch my daughter, so my in laws had to come pick her up, and wow. they saw me writhing on the couch. I got hundreds of hate messages from social media just telling me how terrible and pathetic I was. So <laughs> I thought to myself, where am I going with my life? And it was around that time that I started writing my book. And my book is the, is my journey, my unlikely journey from being a middle school. I laugh when I say it, but it's true. <laughs> I was a middle school Spanish teacher and I said I want to be a UFC fighter. Like th- that's my book. That That's the story of it. And you'll see in the book and, and through our conversation that, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> – Achieving goals, not achieving goals, um, falling short, pivoting, etc. I think the the biggest biggest helper for me is I've always known what I stand for. I've always known from a very young age what my values are, and I think a lot of people, as we get older and we get, especially as we get busy into life with jobs and um, careers and uh, families, etc., responsibilities. You for you you for you either one never clearly identified 
who you are and what you value. Or two, if you did, it gets so caught up in the jumble of your life. So for me, keeping those values front and center is what has always kept me kept me focused on those goals and focused on that standard of excellence that I try to live by. So one, it's the values. And two, another thing that I've personally done is I've identified my success principles. So I, I developed a curriculum of things and I took notes from the time I was a kid up until after that last fight in Brazil of principles that I live by. And I use that as a checklist every day of my life. If I'm arguing with my wife and I'm not being holding myself accountable, I'll say, oh, Charlie, live an accountable life. Boom, there it is. Hmm. Or <laughs> if I have a, a bad attitude and we're going somewhere, I check myself and say, Charlie, control your attitude. It's like I have to – I keep myself in check by living those principles on a daily basis. And whether you develop your own, whether you get yours from – Whomever, I mean, there's tons of guys like yourself and John Lee Dumas and Vaynerchuk, all these really knowledgeable people, <laughs> Anthony Robbins, that you can get this stuff from. So yeah. when you live by a system, it then becomes that much easier. You have your system of living, you have your values, that whenever these curveballs hit you, it's like you just apply, apply those values in that system to the new route. And it, it, it's already, I mean, the thinking is done for you. Awesome. I, I'd love, I'm sure these are in your book, but I'd love for you to, to share uh, what are your top one to three core, I think it's a great way to kind of close out the uh, the interview today, the episode. What are your top one to three core values uh, and what are your top one to three success principles? Well, I kind of, I do them in, <laughs> I do my values in order. I don't know why they're in this order, order but I always start with integrity, family, and fitness. Okay. And integrity because I, I, I think you know, having a, a, a strict moral code and, and a moral uprightness is, is, is first and foremost in everything I do. And if I'm not, if I don't maintain my, my integrity as a person, then I'm not the best family person. So mm -hmm. that's the only reason I put that first. And <laughs> family and fitness, I'm a fitness buff, man. And if I don't get fitness in in a day, then it's, I'm, I'm a bear. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just something that I have to do. So, you know, the integrity, family, and fitness are probably my top three. Okay. And then in terms of my principles, I have 12 of them. But one of the ones my dad taught me when I was a kid, and I made a note to say it on the show, is control the controllables. Mm -hmm. And what that means is this. Whenever you, 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 you strive to attain goals, whenever you have any sort of problem or obstacle in front of you, there's – if you made a list of all the, the, the problems – and then out of that list of problems, you identified what is controllable and what is non-controllable. And then you took the non-controllables, wrote them on another piece of paper, threw that piece of paper in the trash, and then focused your time and energy on the controllables, then you're maximizing your energy. You're, you're focusing on things that you can control. So that's been a big one for me that's been extremely helpful. Um, one that I've mentioned before is surrounding yourself with the best. And I, I equate that to everything, your friends, your, your mentors, your role model, your, if you're an athlete, the people around you. I'm getting into professional speaking. And I'm, I hope it's okay, Hal, but I'm going to start picking your brain because <laughs> you're where I want to be. So sure. I will hopefully we can cultivate a relationship. But you're someone that I look to and I say I want to surround myself with him. And <laughs> I have to pick another one. Oh, there's, there's, there's some good ones, but I would say a practical one for people to, to take a look at is hone your habits. So take a look at your habits. Look at the things you do on a daily basis that you might not even know 
that you're doing them. I read a book called The Power of Habit yeah. and it was pretty tremendous. And it, it really made me think, holy cow, I do all these things. I look at my cell phone 150 times a day, like out of <laughs> habit and I don't even know it. Yeah. So, you know, th- those three things would be very beneficial. And before we close, I want to say a personal thank you to you in front of your listeners. This wasn't planned and it is one of the reasons I reached out to him. But when I lost that third fight in Brazil about a year and a half ago, on that lonely, lonely plane ride home, and it was – this is not a setup, but he nailed it. I was – yeah, I was at my wit's end. I, I I didn't know where to go, and I had bought your book, The Miracle Morning, and I read it you know, cover to cover on my way home from Brazil, and that really, really put me on – that skyrocketed this journey that I'm on into speaking, into influencing people. So you know, I want you to know that your book had a huge impact on me two years before this – conversation ever took place all right we can be in each other's circle of influence charlie <laughs> <laughs> thanks yes <laughs> uh yeah no man seriously i'm ha- happy to happy to help you and support you and you have my uh, you know my, my contact info so we'll stay in touch um but uh yeah man thank you for this dude i uh i uh, you know it's uh, like normally I, I try to keep my the uh, interviews you know to a certain time i'm like dude i just want to talk to charlie i'm <laughs> i'm curious I'm, I'm interested so yeah man fascinating and and, and i'm, I'm I, I really honor you and acknowledge you for uh, um, you know, t- turning everything that you've done, and, and not not only the personal accomplishments that have led to this point, but but now really turning it back on uh, youth and, and finding a way to, to to share your experience and, and the adversity you've overcome and the the wins that you've had, and, and really share that with other people. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure, man. And I'm um likewise. If, hey, you're more than welcome to have my cell phone number and call me or text me any any wit. You want to know some weight cutting questions? <laughs> you, all the crazy weight cutting questions. Whatever you want to know, I'm your guy. Nice, I love it. All right, man. Well, uh, your so your book, by the way, everybody, goal achievers. The book is called Driven: My Unlikely Journey from Classroom to Cage. Go grab your copy on Amazon and uh, just read a few of the reviews, and you'll see that uh, it, it's a book that can really have a positive impact in your life. I'm assuming, Charlie, that you share the other nine of your 12 success principles in that book. Yo, you know, this one is just a uh, – that's kind of – that's going to be my next book. This ah. book is, is is just my journey. It's the my journey. autobiography. Yeah, so the, the, the next book and those seeds are, are in the works. And for anyone curious of any of that stuff, you can find my, my all my information and my social media links at charlie-brenneman.com. I house everything there. And I'm going to spell that out. That's – well, Charlie is – I think there's only one way to spell it. C-H-A-R-L-I-E, yeah. but that's dash. And then Brenneman is B R E N N E. M A N. So B R E N N E man, M A N. So Charlie, pleasure, my friend. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate how. Thanks all the listeners. Yeah. And achieve your goals podcast listeners. I will echo that. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate you. And, um, I'm excited. I'm excited for uh, what we got to come. Exciting guests coming up, exciting, uh, solo episodes in the works and, uh, make it a great day. I'll talk to everybody next week. Take care. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. So now we want to know what were your favorite parts about Charlie's story? What really inspired you? What really uh, resonated with you? Simply head on over to halelrod.com slash 115 for episode number 115. And just leave a comment there on the show notes page letting us know what your big takeaways were. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by going to halelrod.com slash iTunes clicking the little subscribe button then if you would and if you haven't done so yet please leave a rating and review rating and reviews truly are the best way for you to help spread the word about the show because they help more people find out about the podcast and then decide if this is the one for them 
So now it's time for you to go out there, take action, and achieve your goals. If you're looking to grow your business using podcasting, but don't have the time to edit the audio, insert the intro and outro, write up the show notes, post the episode to all the different sites, and do all of the ridiculous back-end work that's required, then you need yourpodcastguru.com, where you bring the content and we take care of the rest. We'll even co-host the show for you. Visit yourpodcastguru.com right now to explode your audience and crush it in the podcasting world.